uh, for all of us in particular. Uh, shooting a few weeks ago at a church, the mass shooting a few weeks ago uh, for my own family. Uh, we had a friend uh, fall off a ladder on Friday, and now he's, uh, they just took off life support this morning. And so it's all these questions, all this painful stuff. And for me, as I, I lie in bed or cry out to the Lord, I think of the, that psalm, Psalm 42, like my soul, it faints within me. But yet the great promise in that psalm is that God is always with, with us and God is faithful, amen. And so where we're at this morning, if we come with, with a faint heart, we can rest in the promise that we have a faithful God, not only to uh, deliver us from those things, but more importantly, to walk with us through those things, amen. Like we, I don't want just a God to push me through it. I want a God with me through it. Amen? And so that song is a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. Just a few announcements this morning uh, before we dismiss the children's for children's church. Uh, remember that revival will start next Sunday morning. Uh, we have uh, two great men coming. Uh, BJ, who was with us last year. Uh, BJ Erps, he's at Missio church in West Virginia. He's going to come back and he's going to kind of go through what we've been going through, through our core values. And he's going to look at them again. Like, what do we believe who we are about the church? And then he's going to really spend the majority of his time talking about the outcomes. If we are the church of Jesus Christ, and this is who God's called us to be, this is how God's called us to live that out practically day to day. So please join us all, all of um, next week for that, starting on the 20. Uh, second of uh, this month. Also in the hallway is a sign up for uh, Children's Church. We, there's a few spots uh, left and available uh, if, if you're willing and have a desire to teach our children uh, from God's Word. Also in the back uh, this morning, if you wouldn't mind filling out, um, if you're coming for uh, Wednesday lunch, uh, dinner, uh, Jerry, this Wednesday dinner is for you, I heard. Um, so you already signed up, all right. Did you put um, four, two burgers each? Uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm going a double-decker. I might even save one of those burgers for the chili cook-off and have a chili cheeseburger. All right, no one else thought that was funny. That, that was a plane crash. All right. Note to self, make no jokes during announcements. Uh, speaking of that, on the t uh, 28th of this month is our, our fall festival. Please come out. Uh, we do still need uh, candy for that. We need people to sign up for the the chili cook-off, and uh, dessert, so please uh, do that. And we need some workers to help us with all the games that we'll be doing. Uh, also, in, in the back, there are flyers for that to take into our neighborhoods to invite uh, those that uh, don't normally come to church uh, to come and be a part of our community here at Powell's Chapel. Just a few, uh, two more announcements in a way of prayer. Um, LifePoint Church and the, the Riverdale campus has their official uh, morning service. Uh, they are multiple locations, and they just planted a church over on, in the river, Riverdale over here in Murfreesboro. It's a great way for us this morning to, to pray uh, for a like-minded church, a Southern Baptist church over there, uh, to, to reach every man, woman, and child with the gospel. Uh, also, uh, this morning, if you were here last night for the bonfire, uh, we had a, a Spanish church come and join us uh, for our bonfire and for our s'mores. Uh, they are planting a church. If we could throw a stone that direction, uh, about a mile uh, that way. They're playing a church. Uh, we have a few of their visitors here with us this morning as well. And so let's continue to partner with every church. It's going to take all of God's churches to reach all of God's people. Amen. 
And so it can't just be Powell's Chapel. We have to partner. We have to link arms uh, with these churches and all the churches in our area to make sure that the gospel is saturated in our community, to continue to give every man, woman, and child a repeated opportunity, not, not only to hear it, to see it, but ultimately, and what we're going to look at this morning is to respond to the gospel the same way that we in this room, if you're a believer, responded to the gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then the children are dismissed for church, children's church. God, I'm grateful for all the churches here in our town. I'm grateful uh, even this morning for, to have a few visitors from, um, from the church, the Spanish church, just uh, that's getting planted as you've gathered some families from here and from Franklin to, to really reach uh, the, the, the Latin community here in Murfreesboro, God. Um, we need them, God, to succeed. We need them to present the gospel so that every man, every woman, and every child will ultimately respond to the great news, your good news. We pray for Life uh, Point this morning as they have started a new campus there in the Riverdale area of Murfreesboro. We pray, God, that this morning as people would come and the visitors would come, that they'd see and hear and respond to the gospel. We pray for that here at Powell's Chapel, God, uh, that you would allow us to remain faithful to you, faithful to the gospel and presenting the gospel uh, everywhere we go. And so we pray for that for our fall festival coming up. We pray for that for our revival, God, that you would draw all men to yourself. I'm grateful for this church, for this community of believers that come and gather and worship. And I pray again this morning, God, that none of us would come and leave the same, that we would all have an encounter through the Holy Spirit with you and your son Jesus this morning. So lead us and God us, get all the glory and all the praise. We pray this in the sweet name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. If you'd rise and greet one another and the children are dismissed for children's church. To John chapter 4, let's remain standing as we hear from God's word. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Uh, we've been in this series called This Is Us, and we're looking at who are we, the people of God, here in particular at Powell's Chapel. And we spent much time looking at our mission statement. Remember, our mission statement is to know him and to make him known. And out of that mission statement, we said we want to do these things, and this is how we want to do those things. We, they're called our, our core values. We, here at this church, we want to be a community that does four things and does them well. We want to be a God-glorifying community. That everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think here in this community, this church, ought to be God-glorifying. So every activity that goes on, every flyer that goes out, every phone call that's made, every visit that we have with people, we want to glorify God in doing those things. And then we said, not only do we want to be God-glorifying, but the, one of the ways that we're God-glorifying is that we hold God's word to be true. Amen? 
This is the word of God. And so we said here, we want to be uh, not only God glorifying, but we also want to be gospel centered. That everything that we do as we glorify God, we want to be centered in the gospel. Because the gospel is what sets people free, not activities, amen? Not activities. And so we want to make sure that when the children are down in the children's area, even this, this morning, that it's gospel-centered. That it's not just a bunch of stories, but it's stories centered around the gospel. That's why at the beginning of this year, we went to what we call the gospel project. And every story that the children learn from the Old Testament to the New Testament points them back to the gospel or to the good news of Jesus Christ, the thing that sets people free. Amen? And then we talked about not only that, but we also want to be a loving community, a mission-minded community, a a community that would love people and love the world. And so we talked about what does it look like for us to be on mission with God. We're going to look at that this morning as we look at another one. We want to look at uh, what what does it mean for us to make disciples. We want to be a disciple-making community. And then we talked about, we started just a few weeks ago. So those are our our mission statement, our values. And then we looked at what we call our outcomes. What does it look like for every man and every woman and every believer? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I think there's some markers as we look in our, uh, uh, we look first and foremost in the Bible, but we also look back at our bylaws and our constitution that the bylaws and constitution are pointing people back to the word of God to say, this is what the people of God need to look like, right? All of us, there's something unique in all of us. It's called the gospel, and if the gospel's in us, the gospel's going to require us to live a certain way. It's going to push things out of us. That's why we call them the outcomes. And so we've looked at that, and this morning the one we'll look at is called our grace story or our testimony. If you're a believer here, you have a testimony. And a testimony simply means this, that whatever God is doing in your life, you're able to articulate that and say it out loud. You see, so often we talk about our testimony. Our testimony is that one moment in time. It's called our justification. Now, I don't want to just talk about our justification. The day you came to know Christ. I want us to be able to articulate all the days of our life that God is doing what the Word of God calls our sanctification. The ongoing process of becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus. And so our grace story, yes, it is where it starts, is at the moment of conversion. But it's also today, tomorrow, when you engage in God's word, God's word being gospel-centered people ought to push things out of us to a dying community. And so we're going to look at this morning, what is our grace story? What does it mean for us to be able to share our grace story? And then what happens when we share our grace story? You'll turn with me to John chapter 4. And as uh, Keith read, we're going to start at the end and get back to the beginning. Right? And so as, as Keith read, many Samaritans that day believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world. That's what he read. That's the last things he read to us. There in chapter 4, verse 42. For we heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Well, that comes out of where we won't even get to. I wish we could spend more time at this. But if you look uh, uh, up in verse, uh, verse 36, 37, 38, 
what does he say to them? He's talking to the disciples after the disciples see that Jesus has encountered this Samaritan woman. And he says this to them. He's talking about those who sow and those who reap. Some sow, some reap. But this is what he says before that. He's talking to them and he says this. He said, look at the fields. Look at the fields. They're white for the harvest. That comes out of, and the, the, the cross-reference, go with me to Matthew chapter uh, 9. I, I hope we first, before we ever share our great story, we see the world as God sees the world. How does God see the world? How does Jesus see the world? Turn with me to John chapter 9, verse 35. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and what? proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So if we're going to share our gospel story, our grace story, it must start this way. The same way it started for Jesus. The same way he calls his disciples to start. He says this, and when he saw the crowds, now I made a note in my Bible. The first note I made in my Bible when I was doing a quiet time on this several months ago was this. Do I see the crowds? Do I even see the crowds? Like, Jesus is telling us about the harvest, but where does he start? He starts with us seeing the crowds. Do we see the crowds? When you leave here today and you go to lunch and you sit wherever you go to lunch, do you see the people around you? I think for we, the church, we've lost our intentional seeing. You know, it has become so familiar to us that we forget what's around us. So first and foremost, do we see the crowds? And then it says this, after he saw the crowds, what does it say? He had compassion for them. And so the next question in my Bible I put as I was doing my quiet time, okay, God, if I see the crowd and I see the crowd, do I see them for who they really really are? Do I have compassion for them? Why do we have compassion for them? It's because of what he says. They are what? They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Brother Frank could come up here and do a much more expository preaching on what it means to be sheep. I'm not a farmer at all. So if you're going to get some farming advice, you're looking at the wrong guy. I I promise I'll drink this water today, Jack. I promise. I've been told, hey, man, you drink, you hold that bottle a lot, but never drink it. I just drank it. Pow. Showed y'all. Man, let's get back to teaching. What am I doing? Not good. So we got to see the crowds. We have to have compassion for the crowd because they're harmless and helpless and they're harassed. I don't know about you, but if I get this mind picture of these sheep on the side of this mountain with no shepherd, if you think about that, they'd just be wandering everywhere. And so Jesus says, do we see the crowds? Do we have compassion on the crowds? And do we see them for who they really are? They're lost and helpless, and harassed. And then Jesus says this to us, I believe, this morning. Then he said to the, to the disciples, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out the laborers into the harvest. You see, here's what I know to be true about God's word. Here's what I know to be true about the heart of God. God's primary, not God's only way, but God's primary way to reach the lost people is the church. Do we agree with that? And the church doesn't mean this gathering on a Sunday morning. The primary vehicle is not Sunday morning preaching and worshiping. The primary reason for this hour and 15 minutes, sometimes I go longer, is that I would equip you to do what Ephesians 4 says, the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? To look at a crowd that is hopeless and harmless and has no direction. So I'd equip you to go into the harvest, that you would be the workers. And God's primary way of doing that is through what we're going to talk about this morning, is your grace story. You see, your, the primary way is that God would use you in the way he uniquely gifted you and your unique story to go into a dying world to share the good news. And the only grace story you have this morning is the moment of your conversion. People don't care about that. They want to see the onworking Holy Spirit in your life to say, there's something way different about them. You see, a lot of people in our world would say, yeah, I've come to know Christ. And then you look at their lives and you're like, oh my gosh, nothing's changed. Well, if nothing's changed in their life, then I'd say they didn't really have an encounter with Jesus. Because when you look at God's word, every time someone has an encounter with Jesus, their life changed. Their whole life changed at that moment of conversion. That's what happens here to the woman at the well. And so I just wonder if we have a lot of people that say they're believers and are as lost as they come. Because there's no working, ongoing work in their lives to point back to the grace of God. That's what we call a grace story. Is your life full of places that is full of God's grace? Not just one moment that you prayed a prayer. That's what happened to this lady at the well. So let's turn back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 says this, And when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making that more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. It says he left where he was at. He left Judah and departed again to Galilee. Circle this in your Bible. Four words. And he had to go. You see, we're going to look primarily at the woman. But I think it's important to look at Jesus. Jesus always, always lived on mission with God the Father. Do you see that in that text? We can miss those four small elementary school words. But those four small words reveal a lot of who Jesus was and reveals a lot about God the Father. That God had uniquely designed this moment, we'll call it a divine appointment, 
to go somewhere. And so it says he had to go. He was compelled to go because he lived on mission with God the Father. Jesus, he says it in his own words. Let's not forget this. Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. And yet even Jesus himself said, it's not about me, but it's about being a God-glorifying man. And I'll do whatever the Father says. And so the Father says, go, I'm going that way. So Jesus had to go, and where did he have to go? He had to go. He had to pass through Samaria. That's another long word, a short word with a whole lot of meaning behind it. You see, typically, Jewish people didn't want anything to do with Samaritans. So much so that this was the direct way. If you were to look a map, you would see where Jesus was and where he had to go. He's going to Galilee. It says the straightest route was to go right through this city. But Jewish people wouldn't go that way. They'd go up the coast to avoid these people. And see, these people have a whole lot of history with Jewish people if you go back in the Old Testament. These Samaritans, how this whole community, how this whole nation got started was because the Jewish people started living in sin with these people. And they began to intermarry. That was a huge no-no in the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, these people that were of somewhat Jewish descent began to worship God the best way they knew how to worship God. And then in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, the Old Testament, we looked at Nehemiah a few months ago. These people of God heard that the Jews were in exile and they wanted to come alongside and help the Jewish people to get to worship God. And then the Jews said, no, no, no thanks. We're too good for you. Well, that led this bitterness in the heart of the Samaritans. And so for the rest of the history, from that moment on, these two Great nations have hated each other. Sound familiar? Familiar like today? Familiar what's going to happen in a few hours when people don't want to stand for a flag? Familiar? It's not okay. And yet we're going to see what Jesus does, and I think it's the heart that Jesus is going to call us to here at this church to where do we have to go let's start there and so jesus he had to go because he had this divine appointment with this lady and it says jesus had to pass through samaria and when he came to the town of samaria called sakar near the field that jacob back in the old testament was given to his son joseph Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, being fully man, was tired. I love that he says those few words. Like, here's Jesus, the Savior of the world, the the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, yet he shows us his humanity. This guy's been traveling all day, and it says he was just simply worn out. And so what does he do, being worn out? Jesus, weary from his way, from his journey, he sits beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Highlight that in your Bible. So here Jesus is, the heart of the day. Six, the sixth hour meant six after hour sunrise. So that would be about noon. That's the hottest part of the day over in Israel. That's, that, that's blazing hot. 
So here Jesus is, he's been walking and walking and on this divine appointment. And it says even on his divine appointment, he got a little weary. And so he sat down to rest. And it was the hottest part of the day. And all of a sudden, here comes the appointment. Here comes the moment that the story is going to change. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Here's the thing. You don't go draw water during the middle of the day. When it's the hottest part of the day, you don't go draw water because if you send down the bucket, you're only going to bring out hot water. And so this woman, something's happening in this woman that this woman decided, hey, I've got to go during the middle of the day when no one else would be around. You see, it was the women primarily that went and drew water. And they'd do it as a community. They'd gather in the morning and they'd get together and they'd do what women do and they'd have these conversations all the way to the well. So there'd be this community of women. But we see this one lady all by herself. I wonder what's going on with this woman that she would go all by herself. I have this mental picture that here's this lady. She's carrying this bucket and she's making her way from her home and she stop every few feet and kind of look around the corner to see if anyone was seeing her out of her own shame. And she'd walk a little bit further and stop and wonder, man, who's going to be at the well today? I hope nobody's going to be at the well today. And I wonder what happened in her the moment she turned that one corner and saw this man, a Jewish man, sitting at the well. I wonder what her heart did. Like she was thinking, man, I was trying to get out of here with having no contact with anyone, and not only anyone, but now this Jewish man is sitting at our well. Oh, no. Oh, no. And there she comes, the walk of shame, all the way to the well. And then Jesus pipes up. You can, couldn't you just imagine her just thinking, oh, man, I got here. He didn't say anything. He barely looked at me. Thank God I can get my water and just go home. And now all of a sudden, this Jewish rabbi starts to talk to me. And he says, what? Give me a drink. Like you, lady, you go down into that well with your bucket and you pull out water for me. For his disciple has gone away to the city to buy the food. And the Samaritan woman said this. Here's the thing that happened in that moment with those few words, four words, give me a, give me a drink. Four berries that Jesus plowed through. Because he had a mission sent to him by God to do something, not for this lady only, but for this whole lady's community. Remember, I've already told you the end. The end is all these people are going to come to know Jesus as their Savior. and That's the divine appointment. This lady has no idea what the divine appointment is. Before three berries, he just plowed through. The first berry is, hey, in that culture, men do not speak to women they, they were superior in that culture so this woman all of a sudden she's getting there and she she in her mindset knows that this man's not supposed to talk to her and all of a sudden barrier number one busted through barrier number two that she he busts through teachers of the law 
rabbis of the law, Jesus was that, never. Not only was she a, a, a woman, but a woman of immorality we're going to get to. So the teachers of the day would have nothing to do with a woman and absolutely nothing to do with immorality. Remember it says this, that if a rabbi went and touched an unclean thing, it made them unclean. So Jesus plows through that boundary. I'll get unclean with you, and more importantly, for you. That's what happened in the text. And the last one is this, that she was a Samaritan. Like she was from the other side of the tracks. She was the one nobody wanted. Here's this poor, what we'll call, because uh, there's no children in the room, a lady of the evening, if you will. Here's this whore, woman, Samaritan, that nobody wanted to deal with. And yet, because Jesus had a divine appointment, he wanted everything to do with her. So it continues on. Give me a drink. For his disciple has gone away to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said, How is that you, a Jew, would ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They didn't mess with them. There was, that word dealings with meant to use instruments after. That we wouldn't share anything. More or less, I'm not drinking after you for sure. So what is it that you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, to do something very intimate with you? There's only one person on the planet that I'm intimately involved with. That's Jenny. That's what Jesus, with this word, is saying to this woman. Hey, be intimate with me in this moment. And that had to freak the lady completely out. But remember, Jesus was on mission. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me. And I would have given you living water. In that moment, everything in the conversation changed. You see that? In that moment, in that one word, the lady, Jesus says, hey, you give me a drink. And then the lady says back to you, hey, I, I can't really do that. And then Jesus says, if you only knew who was asking for, you'd be asking me for something to drink. I wouldn't have to ask you for something to drink. Do you see that? Jesus starts with the question, hey, you give me something to drink. She responds to that and says, hey, if you only really knew who you were talking to, you would have been asking me for this drink. And I'm sure that lady was like, what is he talking about? Like, what kind of head games, mind games, heart games, what kind of tricks is this crazy lunatic in the middle of the day, maybe he's got heat exhaustion, trying to do to me? And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to even draw the water out with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well to drink from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. You see, the lady still doesn't get it. She's still thinking physical water. Like, how are you going to get anything to drink? You have nothing to draw it out. You're asking me. I'm not really supposed to do that. How's this all going to work? And then she goes into this thing about her father, her father's father, Jacob, the father. Are you greater than him? She doesn't even know what she's asking. But the answer to both of her question is, yep. Yeah, I'm much greater than your father. And yep, that water that you get in there, 
it'll satisfy you for a moment, but hey, sister, I'll satisfy you forever. Like, do you see that in the text? She's asking this great question, and the answer to her question is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am way, way, I am your father's father. And I get to hang out with his father's father, my father. Yeah, I'm much, much greater than he is. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water or a, a living water, a water welling up to eternal life. And then the woman said, give me this water so I'll never be thirsty again. And I don't have to come here to draw the water. You see, in that moment, the woman still thought, hey, this guy will take me out of my shame so I never have to come to the well again. Sign me up right now. Like, I never have to come to this well in the middle of the day because of who I am. Sign me up. I'll do whatever it takes not to do that walk of shame again. Yeah, please, 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 please do that. Missing the entire point that Jesus has way more than to deliver her from her shame. He'll do that in the process. But Jesus has a divine mission to do something way greater to move her out of her shame. And what does he say to her? I don't ever want to do this again. I don't ever want to make this journey again. So yeah, if you've got some of that water, if you've got some of that like Gatorade water, give me some. I'll take it. And Jesus turns it again. Like he keeps going a little deeper, a little farther, a little more into her story. And then Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And I wonder what happened on the woman's face when he looked dead at her and said, hey, I kind of know why you're doing this whole shame business coming to the well every day at noon. Like, go call your husband. I wonder if she just sat and crumbled at the side of the well and put her hands in her head and thought, oh, my, I've been exposed, I've been exposed, I've been exposed. Anybody in the room ever felt like that? Anyone ever done what she does next? What does she do next? The woman answered her, I have no husband. Like he, she didn't get to the truth. The truth is she's sleeping with another man. The truth is she's got four other husbands. The truth is she gives herself to everybody and gets nothing in return. The truth is she's used goods. The truth is you fill in the blank. But the truth is not, I just don't have a husband. She's saying, oh, I've been exposed and being exposed. I really don't want anyone to see any more of my filthy junk. I don't want anyone else to really, really see me. So I'll tell you some of the truth, but I can't tell you all the truth, Jesus. Anyone ever done that? I guess I'm the only one. And then Jesus said, oh, you're right. Can't you just see his eyes, his face, his hands, his body, the compassion in that moment for the lady? Oh, you're right. See, every every time a Jewish man, a, 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 a law giver would say you're right, it was with the condemnation, not with sympathy, not with compassion, not with intimacy, not with love, but with condemnation. Oh, yeah, you're right. 
You see, there's a lot of difference between, yeah, you're right, then, oh, you're right. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's going back to what he said just a few moments ago. Hey, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Have compassion on them. And so at the well, he has compassion for this lady. Oh, you're right. When you say you have no husband, for you, you, you have five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Excuse me, I said four, I'm at five earlier. You have said this is, is true. And then the woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Uh, I see you're not just some ordinary person at this well today. She still doesn't really see who Jesus is. She just simply says, you're not just an ordinary man. You've got some extraordinary powers that see in the things that nobody else sees. That's called a prophet. I mean, you're a prophet. I wonder if a lot of us just see Jesus as a prophet. This good teacher, this guy that has some insight, but we don't see him for what he really is, the savior of the world. You see that moment and him, her just saying, hey, you're a prophet, wouldn't have done anything for her eternally. Do we get that? Just coming to Jesus and saying, man, you're a great prophet, that does nothing for her other than leave her even more exposed, even more shame-ridden, even more guilt-filled, Oh, you're a prophet. Jesus, being compassionate. Said, oh, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't know who I am. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say, and your people say to worship in Jerusalem, that place where your people ought to uh, worship. So she sees that Jesus is this prophet. She's exposed. And then what does she do? She tries to get, get Jesus to knuckle with a curveball. You know those great pictures when they throw a curveball? It's like, oh, that's what she was trying to do to Jesus. Throw him a curveball. Hey, let's get it off of me and put it on to you, Jesus. But she's deflecting her own sinfulness away from herself so she doesn't have to be exposed. And Jesus says, okay, I'm the greatest curveball hitter in the world. I'll take that yard every time. So here comes a curveball. Here comes uh, a, a deep fly to uh, center field about 700 feet over the wall. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You see, there's something greater that's going to happen, lady. There's something more that's going to happen. You don't have to go anywhere to worship me. You don't have to go to that mountain. We won't have to go to this mountain. There's something that's really going to happen soon, and it will blow your heart to smithereens if you get it. Oh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For what? Here it comes. For what? Salvation freedom, deliverance, healing, all the things that you wander from and all the things that you want are going to come to you, lady. Salvation's coming to you from the Jews, from me. He's Jewish. But the hour is coming and is now here in this moment at the well when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Get that part. What she's saying is God desires people to worship him. The Father's seeking that out. 
The Father's come to seek and save. That is what is lost. That's what the whole heart of the Father is, to find those who are lost, to find those who are shameful, to find those who are full of guilt. He's seeking them out to worship Him. It says, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must do what? Worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Spirit is that thing in all of us. We must worship Him with all that is within us. We looked several weeks ago what that looked like, to worship God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the Spirit of the man. But not only do we have to do that, and not only do we have to worship Him with our spirit, but we have to worship Him with what? Truth. Do we worship Him with this? We can't just worship Him with our souls and not have the truth to rest on. He's saying, you got to do both. You really want to be a God-glorifying community? Church, if we really want to glorify God, we got to do it with all that's in us, our spirit, and we got to do it founded on the truth. Do we know the truth? God is, is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. I've heard about this Messiah. This the whole Old Testament is about the Messiah. This, this, this Samaritan, she grew up in a religious home. She would have read the Old Testament. She would have known that the Messiah is coming. Over, over, well over 300 times it talks about the Messiah that's going to come. I know that the Messiah is going to come. Who is the Christ? And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus simply replied to her, I am him. I who speak to you am he. Like, I know you know all this has got to come. And I know you know the Savior of the world has got to come. And I know you know he's going to take away the sins of the world. I know you know all that. But let me tell you this. I am who you have been looking for all those men you slept with all the things that you've done all the things you've looked for hope in i am that guy that's what he's saying here you see all those men behind you you're using all those men to satisfy something that only i could satisfy you with myself see no woman's going to give herself to six people for the sake of giving herself away to six people it isn't in any of us we all long to matter and belong that's the core of every human being so this woman every time she slept with a man was trying to find the answer do i matter and do i belong and jesus said yes you matter and yes you belong to me i am him and then what happened in that moment when she he said those few words his knucklehead disciples ran up on the show and then the woman marveled at what he was saying she, she left. So verse 28, the woman left with her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see this man who told me all that I did. He exposed everything, all my sins laid out here. He says she in that moment has in this encounter with Jesus and she goes and she then tells the city what she's been doing. He told me all that I did. You know those guys I've been sleeping with? You know the guy I'm sleeping with now? He told me all that. He exposed me. For who I really am. Come and see the man who told me all that I did. Can this be the Christ? Like, is this really it? Kind of like doubting Thomas. Okay, I, I, I think it really is him, but now help me with my unbelief. You know, the man with his, his child. 
Like, I think that's the moment. This lady's like, I really have seen Jesus, but is it too good to be true? And they went out of town, and they were coming to him. All the people were coming to Jesus. Then Jesus, here in 31 through 38, have this encounter with the disciples. The disciples were like, what are you doing? You're really talking to a Samaritan? You're talking to the, a woman? You're talking to a whore? And he says to her, he goes back, have compassion for those people. Hey, you knucklehead disciples. This is who we came for. Right? That's what he says. Hey, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. I need you, disciples, to take your encounter with me and go to people that nobody wants to go encounter and tell them about who I am, just like I just did with this lady. So they have this conversation, and then this woman goes off into her city, and she, I don't know, she gathers a town. I don't know if she's, like, yelling up and down the, the, the streets. I don't know what she's doing. But I do know this, because of her grace story, her encounter with Jesus at the well, her telling her, hey, this is what I am, this is who I am, this is what Jesus said about me, but this is who Jesus said he is, this is what happened. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's what? Testimony. Because of her grace story. You see, God's primary way that he's going to reach lost people is through your encounter with Jesus, and then you just having the boldness to go and shame yourself and tell people about Jesus. Right? Isn't that what happened? Many people believed. And because many people believed, more people believed, and more people came to Jesus. And then hearing Jesus' words themselves said, oh, this is the guy. He's the Messiah. So my question is this to us, church. Where's our divine appointment? That's the first one we've got to answer. The second one is this. Have you had an encounter? Maybe this is probably the first one. Have you had an encounter like the woman at the well? Have you? Have you? Have you? Have you? Have you? Have you? Have I have an encounter with Jesus on a daily basis where he's exposing my sin to me And I'm saying this is the Christ, the risen one, the one that heals all things, the one that says I matter and I belong. I've had that encounter today. My prayer is I have that encounter again tomorrow, that I don't just rest on what happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago for some of us, but when we get up today and we go into our word, we can say, man, here's my divine encounter with Jesus this morning. And I'm going to go tell somebody that. I'm going to go into this world. I'm going to tell somebody what happened to me in my quiet time. As silly as it might be, as shameful as it might be, I'm just going to let someone know what Jesus did for me today. That's what happened to the lady. You see a few things. What happened to this lady is these two things. This was her testimony. She first had to know her sin. You see, if we have a great story, it starts with our sin and knowing we have it. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago. If there's good news, there's got to be bad news. Right? And so she knew Jesus pointed out in the most kindest, gentlest, most compassion-filled way her sin. And she said, oh, yeah. But see, saying oh, yeah to her sin isn't what changed her. Her saying oh, yeah, and doing something about the oh, yeah, 
is what changed her. It's called repentance. Like she didn't just have an aha moment. She had an aha moment that changed her through repentance and saying, I, that is who I am, but this is who you are. This is, I'm a sinful, fallen man that, that can do nothing on my own to save me, but there is a Jesus Christ who's come to save me and set me free from all of my bondage and baggage. Yep, that's who I am. And so we know salvation comes in these three ways. For everyone in the room, you first must know your need. When that translates to a dying world, do we have compassion for a dying world that they need something that we have? There's not enough stuff in the world to satisfy them. Not enough. As the slogan goes in AA, one drink is too many and a thousand's not enough. It's true for all of us. Do we know our need? The second one is those who experience salvation know their need and they come to repentance. We're, we're going to call people out in their sin. But if all we do is just tell people about their sin, don't give them hope of repentance and the hope of being set free from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've got no hope at all. They have more and more condemnation. That's why the people on the side of the street yelling at you about your sin doesn't work. There's no compassion. There's no story. There's no grace in that. There's no empathy in that. So yeah, they need to know that they're sinning, but they need to know that they're the Savior of the world and it comes through repentance. And so do we know our great need? Do we call people in compassion and empathy? Hey, this is your sin, but this is what you do about it. You repent about it. And then we give them the great news. It's called salvation comes through embracing the gospel, embracing Christ Jesus. See, when we really embrace something, you hold on to it for dear life. See, embracing isn't just saying, yep, I did it, and then leaving it alone. Do we really embrace the gospel? Do we hold the gospel? Do we get white knuckles with the gospel that, man, I cannot let him go. I won't let him go. I'm going to hold on for dear life. The same way if you put me on a roller coaster, I'm not one of those maniacs that put my hands in there. I, I grab, uh, uh, um, uh, never mind, I grab that bar in front of me, and I'm not letting go until that ride is over. And then I throw my guts up and say, thank God. And then like a moron, I go do it again. I don't know why I do that part, but I hold on to Jesus for dear life. Do we do that? Do we get white knuckles because we grab the gospel and we say, man, I'm never letting it go. Or we just take it and leave it when we want it. You see, the woman at the well, she embraced the gospel. She never let him go because she never let him go. Her grace story changed her neighbors, changed the neighbors' neighbors. It says it changed the village. You see, that's one woman in Samaria that changed the village. We got 60 people in the room. If we take our model from her and say, I'm a needy, needy man or woman, that needs to repent, that needs to embrace the gospel, and then I need to go into the world because they need what I have, and I'll do it at all costs. I think we'll see some change happening in our city. But it's going to start with you. It won't even start with us. It'll start with you. Will you be the woman at the well? Here's the truth of it is, 
all of us are the woman at the well. You may not have slept with five guys and sleeping with someone, but your sin is no more hideous than her is, hers is, and you need the gospel, I need the gospel to set me free and to give me hope and to give me life and to give me eternity, to give me what he says, I am the living water that will well up in you. Just embrace me for who I am. Amen. Do you know your story? Do you today, if I came and I had a mic and put it in front of your face and said, Jonathan, what's your grace story today? Have you had an encounter with Jesus that you could come up and give a testimony of what God has done for you today? Not what he did back for you in college, not what he did for you as a little boy, but man, this is what Jesus did for me today. Do we have that story? I'd encourage all of us this week with a piece of paper and a pen to write out a, a one grace story that God has done in your life in the past seven days. That when we come back in here, all of us in the room, that we, we wouldn't have to preach, that you would preach to us your grace story the way the Samaritan woman shared her grace story. Let us pray. God, you are the Savior of the world. And I know I went long and have some shame about that, God, but God, I believe that this message needed to be preached to me first and foremost and to us, your people. God, that you would allow all of us to see ourselves as a Samaritan woman at the well, that we need the hope of the gospel, we need to be set free from the gospel, and we need to embrace you as our greatest priority. And that, God, embracing you, we would give each of us a great story this week that we'd go and we'd share it. Maybe the first part of sharing that great story is just sharing it with ourselves on a piece of paper. What's your grace story? What's my grace story? I'm grateful for you, that you are the living water, that you're the living hope, and that you set us free from condemnation, you set us free from shame, you set us free from guilt, and you give us a way to live, to live fully, God. I pray that we, as your people, would embrace that, and then we'd give that free gift to a world that feels judged, that feels condemned, that that feels uh, neglected, that feels left out, put out, God, that we would go and we have divine appointments to bring hope to the world. God, this week, give us an opportunity to take the gospel to every man, woman, and child in a five-mile radius of this church. God, I, I pray for us that as we go out and this week as we hand out those flyers for the fall festival, it wouldn't just be putting it in a box or putting it at a doorstep or putting it in a, in a, in a doorknob, but that you would allow the person on the other end of the door, the, the doorbell to open and we'd be able to share our grace story with them. Were they ever darken the doors of this church, God? That doesn't matter. I just pray that they would see and hear and respond to the gospel. You are the hope of the world. You're the light of the world. You are our living water. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus.